When I say searching, you say, this one's hard. This is not only the longest episode of the first season, but I think it's the most emotionally driven. And it's because we're searching for answers in very difficult times in our lives. And I know for me personally, when I'm undergoing pain or dealing with some type of pain, that's when I start asking the big questions of like, why me? Why this? Why now? The poem that I perform was written in one such scenario, and my guest does a really interesting job in kind of giving his perspective and sharing his story with me as well. I would really love to get your feedback on this because if I know anything about life, I know that everyone's going through something. So I hope you enjoy and stay connected. Hello, hello. Hi, how's it going, Nicole? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Excellent. Thank you for joining my show. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. It's my honor. I feel like we used to have these conversations uh, back in college, and I'm really happy that we can still kind of do this. Yeah, technology's come a long way since (laughs) even our college days. I will say that, you know, we used to have these deep philosophical, political debates slash arguments uh, in college, and I miss them. And so uh, we'll see where we land today. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm just, I'm very interested in, uh, in this poem and in and, and your perspective. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm getting your perspective. So first well, off, important question, who are you? Who am I? I am Patrick McCloskey, and uh, sometimes I go by Patrick Andrews on television, my short stint on television. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I I am a TV producer um, in the Harrisburg area for an ABC affiliate, and I produce like a midday lifestyle program, kind of a variety show with for-profit segments, uh, non-profits, uh, authors, musicians, all kinds of people. We've even had poets come on. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we give a, we give a voice and uh, yeah, spotlight to people that don't normally get to do that because, you know, unless you're like a national author, you know, an author or a musician, you usually don't get on new, on TV. So we kind of offer that to people around the area. So it's it's fun. That's cool. So this is going to be like the exact opposite of what you do because I'm interviewing you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> That'd be cool. Okay, so um, I guess a little context about us. We went to college together. We uh, would have many numerous debates, arguments, conversations about everything from God to President Obama and everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, absolutely. And so I will start. This poem is really interesting. It's probably one of my most, I guess, metaphorical poems. Um, So it's called In Vase, and I'll get right into it. I went to the florist the other day. I bought the prettiest bouquet they had to offer, filled a crystal vase with water, painstakingly trimmed each delicate stem, arranged them by height, type, blossom, mesmerizing aroma. I placed them carefully upon my desk, I saw all the beauty that each flower possessed. Then I watched each one shrivel and die at my fingertips. And for a moment, I felt like a god. I understand your satisfaction now of watching handcrafted perfection beg for your direction and tear itself apart at your discretion. Each petal a rebel, scoring by the sun that of all the hundreds of seeds that have come and gone, it's the only one that truly deserved to be. I enjoy seeing a dying, I enjoy seeing a new bloom sneak out of its dying host, vying, hopeful that the light will be just enough sustenance. It's not. It was never meant to be. All right. I think this is a very interesting one and, and it's, it kind of, I think it's got a spiritual tone. Um, and I really, I have a couple of things highlighted. I think it's really interesting when you say, for a moment, I felt like a god. I understand your satisfaction now of watching handcraft perfection um, beg for your direction and tear itself apart at your discretion. Tear itself apart at your discretion. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that uh, those lines really interesting. Um, you know, I think that overall, 
I don't know if in the poem, I don't know what your original thought was. I feel like maybe you're, I feel like there's, there's always a struggle with God. There's always like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have so much power, you know, you know, if you believe in God and you believe you created everything, why do, you know, why is there such evil? Why is there Mm -hmm. such suffering? Um, If you, if the ultimate goal is these beautiful flowers that are mentioned in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that we see that every day we, we sit there and we go, well, there's so many beautiful things about life, but then we do tend to think that um, there's a lot of, of just pure suffering around us. And I don't, I don't think we understand why. And, uh, you know, I think we're always struggling with that answer. And at the very end, when you said hopeful that the light will <clears throat> will be just enough sustenance, it's not, it was never meant to be. Um, I, I wonder if that's like the journey we're on, like when oh. we think we're trying to get somewhere, but um, where is it? What satisfies us? Will we ever get there? I don't know if that's what you meant by the light. Wow. Well... Um, <laughs> No, keep going. I, I like where you're going with this. I'll let you go. No, I, I mean, that's just kind of like what popped into my head is that, uh, yeah, I think that we we are, like, for instance, you say, I enjoy seeing a new bloom, sneak out of a dying host, buying hopeful that the light. I think that we do tend to, um, every day I feel like everybody, you kind of start your day off like hopeful. And then by the end of the day, you do end with your ending, which is like it was never meant to be. And you're just struggling with that every single day. <laughs> I, I find that whether it be at work, whether it be career oriented, um, sometimes when it's relational, um, you know, friends, family members, yeah. lovers, whatever it may be, it's like we're never going to reach perfection. I don't think mm-hmm. we're ever going to hit perfection. I think we want it. And, we, and our desire is perfection. Like, for instance, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, I think that innately our desire and our, the absolute truth is perfect justice. And I'm just throwing an example out there. Mm-hmm. And in society, most of us, hopefully all of us, want perfect justice. But it's never going to come. And it's really depressing that it's never going to come. And so when you see, I mean, I work around news, so I see a lot of times where justice isn't served mm-hmm. and you just wonder, is it meant to be, is it ever going to be um, yeah. that way? And we strive for it and we want it so bad. And we know that it's, we know that perfect justice is um, how the world should be. And we strive for it, but we don't really know how to get there. So anyways, that's just a thought. It's just like an example. Yeah, yeah. So you basically touched on every point in that poem. (laughs) That's good. In summary. We can end this episode right here. No. um, (laughs) So it's actually like three different poems. I wrote them in three different phases and I put them all together. So the first half, which is like the metaphor about me buying a bouquet of flowers and watching it die. That actually happened. I, I used to, uh, when I was living in, in DC, it was like a thing of mine was to buy flowers, at least bi-weekly, just because I like having fresh flowers in my house. And something about that, I've maybe read a quote somewhere, or just thought about it. Like, I love flowers, I love the way they look, and yet I am killing them for my own personal satisfaction. So something about that felt really uh, sinister at the same time, it's like beautiful, but still sinister because these beautiful roses are giving their life for me. And I'm just like, yeah, sit in the corner on that table. So that's when I wrote the first half. Like, that must be what it means to be powerful, to be godlike, to just create these things and watch them die, ultimately. Um, so it's something very dark about the poem. But I, the second, well, the third wave of like each petal a rebel. <clears throat> That's very much about kind of injustice, but more like social injustice. I was thinking about, um, there's a quote by like Tupac and he's like, whenever you see, if you saw a rose grow out of the concrete, you would applaud it for like growing. 
when it didn't have the nutrients, you wouldn't, I guess, castigate it. Um, and I was just thinking about just systemic issues that we have that prevent people from living a life that, they're, that will allow them to self-actualize, that will allow them to thrive um, because of discrimination, because of you know, classism, racism, any other ism. Um, and it's like, it's a, almost a statement of frustration where we can try. I felt myself losing hope when I was writing this. I felt like we can try and we can fight and resist all day long, but we're still like just petals falling off of like this dying thing that maybe the light that we get, and I was thinking of like an actual flower positioning itself um, near a window. And sometimes depending on the flower, if it's there long enough, it'll start growing toward the window, growing toward the light so that it'll keep staying alive. Um, but it's not going to because the stem has already been cut. And that's kind of my, my point and where I was at with society. It's like, we can grow toward the light all we want but it's not like, it might not be fruitful because our stems have already been cut because our legs are cut out from under us because we're facing these issues that are so much bigger than us. Like how can we ever get the sustenance that we need to actually grow and thrive? Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really, I mean, that's really, really interesting. I also think what's interesting about that is like how you start with talking about how beautiful the flowers are. I think that, um, hmm. you know, I think that we tend to miss that point. Like, like for instance, like I think more of like a very like literal, like, okay, like what, what does God go through? Because honestly, honestly, like his, his, his desire is for us to be beautiful, a beautiful bouquet. And what's crazy is he knows that some of us have been cut off by, you know, at the stem and some haven't. Um, and yet, like he still finds us beautiful. And that's what I think is interesting from the first part. Um, and that, you know, I've, I've, let's say in the last, you know, I mean, for the listeners listening, I lost my brother in 2015 to cancer. And, and I started to, some people, when people pass away, uh, pe people that you know that are close to you, you look for different answers. Some people look for emotional ones. Some people look for spiritual ones. Some people look for intellectual ones. Um, and, I personally, you know, I, I questioned, you know, I just, you kind of question your faith and you question, is there a God? And I believe in God. And I had my parents' faith. Do I have my own faith? You have a lot of questions. Um, and so I started seeking out um, all of those things. And one of the things obviously I've listened to a lot is about free will. And, uh, and in that, um, it kind of it kind of kills you inside to think that there's I mean, I, I believe in God and I'm a Christian, but it does kill you to think that God has the ability to fix the flowers. Mm -hmm. But he he decides not to. And I think that's really interesting, like. Like why he allows that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he has the ability to. He has the ability to replant the flowers whenever he feels like it. Yeah, that's yeah. And sometimes he just decides, hey, you know, this isn't this isn't what needs to be done. And so, you know, I mean, personally, on a personal level, it's like, you know, I lived, you know, my brother and I, we had a conversation years ago. And this is just from our personal relationship. Um, you know, his his cancer, his life, he was kind of cut off at the stem. You know, it was like. He didn't, he had cancer, you know, and, and his, and his, he found out he had cancer in his teens and it kind of changed wow. his perspective on life immediately. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're told you might not live very long, decision-making becomes totally different. And sometimes looking back, I always wondered like, what would my brother's decisions been had he not known that? And, right. and, and I think that why did God let me be the flower still in the ground and him be cut off at the stem. You know what I mean? And, um, and I, and I struggled with that for a long time. Um, and, but ultimately, uh, you know, ultimately, yeah. 
in, in, in terms of the spiritual thing, ultimately, this world is, is not what it should be, you know? Like, that's just a, from a biblical side of it, just supposed to be a paradise where everybody, where every flower is planted perfectly and right. has room to grow and it's not. And, uh, and, and we're going to be, I think we're going to struggle and destroy ourselves trying to find that answer. And we don't understand it uh, because we're not, we're not God. We can feel like him. But... You know, that's literally like, <clears throat> I think, I think every believer of any religion probably, but I know specifically Christians have that question of like, we serve a benevolent God, yet there are children dying. And, you know, people in their teenage years getting diagnosed with cancer. And we don't understand these things. Like, um, I know when I wrote the first half, it was in like 2015, had to have been 15 because I just moved to DC. And my father had just passed away in 2013. And I know for maybe four or five, like four years at least, I was um, really struggling with my relationship with God. I didn't know, like I knew I believed, but I didn't understand, you know, why my father was taken. I didn't understand, in the, in the circumstances of him being taken, like I was literally in Australia on the other side of the world. So I didn't actually get to say goodbye. Um, and it just came really quickly, all of those things. So I, I was, it, it became like I was angry at God, but the way I expressed my anger was through indifference. So it was kind of like, I know you exist. I'm going to believe, but I don't really want to talk to you right now. I don't even want to deal with anything that has to do with you right now. And I struggled with that for like a, a long time, actually probably until the last two, two years of like rebuilding that relationship with God and, and letting him back you know back into my life and letting him give me direction again but I think what we're supposed to believe and I say this as someone who is struggling to believe it herself but I'm working on it I think what we're supposed to believe is you know everything happens for a reason um which is whatever everything happens for a reason <laughs> but God is like giving us a certain giving everyone a certain amount of pain so that we can persevere or that others can persevere and learn from it and grow from it. And I don't know, maybe this conversation right now is going to help someone who's going through the exact same thing. Like, and that, and that's one of those things where it's like, it sucks to have to have your pain. It sucks to have to feel pain in order to help other people. But that is like kind of literally what life is. Like you, you, you learn something so that the kids after you don't have to deal with it or you feel something so that, someone else who's feeling it doesn't have to be to go through it alone. And that's something bigger than me to understand why that has to be. But from my experience, that's kind of all it is. That's kind of all life is, is like sharing pain <laughs> and, and beauty too, like yeah. and the beauty of life as well. And maybe an equal measure. Yeah. And for me, you know, on to kind of piggyback off that point, you know, I think that, in, in my time, kind of listen, I've listened to a lot of arguments between Christians, atheists, uh, you know, all different kind of religions. And, and one thing that I think is interesting, and um, all religions and kind of non-religions, um, but one thing that I think is kind of interesting is that uh, in terms of the pain, like when I start to like kind of break down like God and how, how he created the world, it's like if you really think about it, you can't experience joy without experiencing pain you can't you can't experience like for instance like i've thought about this a lot with like um with relationships with people in relationships um uh in, in marriages is that uh it's marriages and love and relationships that are loving they're not impressive um just because they're impressive because it's easy to leave them mm. like because we have the free will to leave. That's the only reason it's truly impressive. Um, and you, and you look at, you know, I mean, obviously there's a whole wave of infidelity everywhere. Um, but it's just, it's just the fact is like that free will is the only way that we can know that our spouses love us is that they stay with us and that they work on the marriage and that they continue to cultivate what's already there. And I think that people go, well, I don't want a painful marriage or I don't want a stressful marriage. And uh, that all that stuff's normal. But the thing is, 
and this is just an example of this, but it's like, without that free will, we're just robots of love. Ooh. And we can't truly love. And I think that like when people look at God, they go like, especially in the Christian Judeo sense, it's like, well, why, why does he, you know, if, if he wants us to join him, then why does he have these like guidelines, you know? And it's like, if you really think about it, it's like, if you're a loving God, you're not going to force somebody to be in your presence. You're going to allow them free will to either accept or deny you. That's just the truth. I mean, that's the only way. And, and having kids and being a parent, like I can, I could tell my kids all day, like you need to love your father, but in the end of the day, but at the end of the day, that won't fulfill me. Like they have to individually and um, personally love me on their own will. Otherwise it's not really true love of the father. So based on that, do you think pain is a function of God's love? um, I think that the only world, like personally, I think the only world he could have created that allowed us to have the free will had pain and that, you know, mm. I think what's interesting is I was listening to a, a Christian um, apologist, which is, just, you know, easily, it's just a defender of the faith. Um, okay. And he was talking about how, like, this is why we think like a, a, a place with no pain is fantastic. And he was talking about this girl, I think she lived in Atlanta or something. And she could not feel pain. She was one of those oh, people with yeah. that disease where mm-hmm. she couldn't, like, she touched, like, burners and stuff. She wouldn't know her hands are burning. And so, you know, she might have, like, third-degree burns, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and he said he was watching a news report of it and uh, or an interview, and they interviewed the mother. And they said, like, isn't – that's just, like – she's, like, a superhero. You know, it's, like, that's what you think. Like, she's, like, a yeah. superhero. She's still – it's not like she's a superhero, though. She still has – the wounds from it, you know, right. she steps on something. And the mother, I guess, of the girl that couldn't feel pain said, it's completely terrifying. She said, because they have to follow this girl around all day to make sure that she doesn't, you know, do accidentally something inflicts, do something. Yeah. yeah. That inflicts pain because she doesn't know pain. But the problem is if you don't know pain, if you can't feel pain, then you don't know pleasure. Hmm. And so like, I think that's like a really, interesting thing and when you start to you know i've had debates at work with people i'm i you know me i'm not afraid to like discuss the <laughs> philosophical thing i'm like hi my name is patrick and let's talk about if who created the world <laughs> right <exactly. laughs> um that's just who i am and and i've debated this and one time uh, i've had friends you know we've we've debated if you're god what's your perfect world and in your perfect world you have a paradise and that's great but the problem is if you have a paradise and but you want to have free will in it like you have to create this you have to create the opposite um consequences like good and bad it's the only way and um at least in my opinion it's the only way um to have total free will and total love but you know like our like we have i think it's what's amazing is we have the ability to to, uh, accept or deny and you know most most people in power, I mean, we're seeing that around the world. Most people in power don't like to be denied. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, man, humans, like, mm-hmm. if if most men that, you know, let's say in the political realm or whatever, they usually become corrupt, um, sadly. Like, if they're, if they're given absolute power. Right, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what are they, what's the end result? Like, I mean, we, if you look over history, the people that have kind of the most power and aren't in democracies, like there's no denying, like they don't want to be denied. And so that's what makes God like, to me, that's what makes him kind of spectacular is that he created it. Well, in my opinion, he created an entire world and he said, okay, I'll give you the option to deny me. I mean, that's love, but mm. Anyways, that's just my thought, but I kind of went on a tangent. <laughs> no, that's it's crazy because it made me think of this kind of Machiavellian God of like, you're going to love me or you're going to fear me because the consequences of not loving me are so rough that you're going to, you know, 
fear me. I, I don't know. I don't know why that specific thought just came. It's underdeveloped. I'm still working my way through it. But I, I don't know if it's even, I, I, I don't know is the, is the long, is the short answer. But um, the thought of, I kind of always picture God as like creating the world and then being like, all right, y'all figure it out. Right. And then we just kind of figure out thinking, trying to think our way through, you know, what he would have wanted us to do. And kind of we have this light inside of us that we think we're following its light um, when we make all of our decisions. But I kind of pictured him as a, you know, a hands off God, unless you really go. You really got it. Actually, what? Okay, this actually just happened yesterday. I was at this political town hall. It's unrelated, but this guy was saying, because I'm in Texas, uh, this guy was saying, you know, every morning I pray for three things. I pray for the country to get back to, to you know, together, and two other things I don't remember. But what he said after that was really important because he was like, uh, I don't mean to be sanctimonious. I was just saying, the purpose of prayer is to change the purpose, change the person who's praying. Hmm. And and so I, it was like so good that I wrote that down because it made me think like, you know, we communicate with God. We try to get answers from God. And what if he is not answering? But the fact that we're seeking the answers is enough for us to change our own lives. It's enough for us to like do better um, and cast out the things that we know we don't need or follow the path that we know is like innate and true within us. And this is a bit of a tangent. But what if, you know, he's literally just watching us. One, no way or the other, not, you know, imposing evil or impo- imposing good, just kind of watching us. And, 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 and letting us, you know, decide, I don't know what we want to do in life. And yeah. I think guiding us in some ways, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'll, I'll share a story with you because you were talking about your father passing away. And I, yeah. I think that a lot of times we do struggle with the idea of, what is God's plan here? You know, and I don't, I don't share this story often, but I'm going to share it on the podcast, which will go live to everybody, I guess. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I kind of kept this to myself, but I want people to hear it. Um, so when my brother passed away, you know, I had a lot of, I had some nightmares over a few months afterwards and uh, just of, of, you know, what he looked like, you know, prior, cause he was, he had cancer for a while and he, yeah. you know, his, his physical body, you know, was struggling and, and, uh, and one of the things I, I had, and like, this is where I think that like, when we don't have like full understanding and full, um, consciousness of all how everything pieces together and we only have one piece of the puzzle or we only have like one Lego and the idea is to build a kingdom and we get upset cause we are only one Lego, you know, but like, that's the goal is like, we all kind of, you know, um, are slowly building God's kingdom uh, for good and for love. And, uh, but we, we tend to struggle with that idea. Um, and, uh, so I had this dream, I don't know how long after my brother passed and it kind of like humbled me. And so in the dream, I was with my dad and we were in the mall and up ahead, we saw a figure that looked like my brother. And, um, the man was struggling to walk and it kind of reminded me of how my brother was, you know, uh, towards the later end of his life. And, um, you know, my dad, obviously I think losing a child is, is the worst loss someone can experience. Um, I think it's just, um, I think it's the worst loss because biblically it's like, that's what God put himself through. And I think God put himself through the worst loss, which is losing his son. And then on top of that, he put himself through, um, not only did he lose his son, but he lost his son to the most excruciating death. So it's like, right. you know, uh, that's one of the reasons that I think like Christianity is so powerful is that, you know, if you do struggle and you say all these, you know, each, when you say each petal a rebel swearing by the sun and, and you feel like there's no, you know, it was never meant to be. I mean, if you look um, in Christianity, you look at Christ on the cross and he's, you know, asking his father why he betrayed him. Like, it's oh. like, it's like, it it happened to it happened to the messiah you know why do you think it's not going to happen to us <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why do you, why do you think like that you know that hap- that that 
that thought came into his mind and he was supposed to be God in flesh. So it's like, so it's like, that is crazy. Um, so I think one of the things that I think kept, you know, kept my brother, you know, afloat in terms of, um, his spirits and stuff was knowing that he served a God that had, um, struggled, um, more than him had suffered more than him. Wow. And I, think that, I think that's like a huge thing. And if you look wow. at, if you look at, you know, there aren't a lot of faiths that's, that have that message. I don't really have the, you know, knowledge of every faith, but I believe most of them don't have that message. And I think uh, contrarily, a lot of them do. You do? Yeah. I think every uh, monolithic religion would have a, a savior that did go through a big struggle of some sort, whether it's interpersonal, like finding themselves or external, like Jesus being uh, killed, but I, crucified. I think everyone does that, but I've never really looked at it like, you know, if my savior can go through it, what says, what's to say that I can't, number one, right. and what's to say that I can't survive it? That's an interesting right. thought. Yeah, I always, I always thought that, like, it was kind of like he went through, like, physical and emotional and mental anguish uh, more than any of human beings could experience. Um, and I'd have to do, I'd have to do my research. Maybe I'm speaking out of line there, but the, uh, you know, mainly, so to the story, you know, we're, we're, my brother's in the mall and, or we see this figure and we think it's my brother and we, we come up upon it. My dad is so excited to see his son and I could feel it from my dad and he, and he and I rush up to this man and um it is my brother it's my brother and in my head i kind of knew that it was it was a certain period of time that it was kind of like i don't know how i knew this in my dream but it was kind of like i understood that it was if he was alive now this is what it would be like oh wow do you know what i mean yeah And so we see him and my brother, he smiles, but he can barely get a smile. And my dad's so excited and and I'm, I'm very excited too, but I'm also, you know, I have this kind of personal anguish. Um, That's because I didn't want to, like, it wasn't like my brother was whole. This was like, as if he was still living and he continued down his path of physical destruction. And I think like in that moment, like, I feel like God was speaking to me and saying like, is this what you want? Mm. Mm. Like, is, is this, do you think you know more than me? Wow. You know what I mean? Uh, do you, do you think that, do you think that you would rather have your brother in this condition, but living mm-hmm. or would he, ra- would you rather him be with me? After I've had that dream, I've never had a, a nightmare again. Wow. But it really spoke to me because I thought to myself, after I woke up that night, I thought, I think I woke up in the middle of the night even, and I thought to myself, boy, that's worse. But, you know, we, we always think that living is better. Living here is better. It's just what we know. And I don't think we know, like, like, uh, when we think of the flowers and we, you know, in your poem and we think of like, okay, they're the prettiest bouquet and now they're dying. And to make like a kind of a literal, you know, parallel to that, it's like, we think the best thing for, we, 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 we think the best thing for them is that we should have watered them to keep them living forever. Right. Yeah. Here, you know? Right. And, and that they, they wouldn't, I mean, some, obviously not, I don't know about these flowers. I don't know what kind of flowers you have here, but, you know, <laughs> instead of, instead of maybe a new seed and new life, you know, we tend to think in that manner of just like, this is what's best for the flowers. Mm. And I know that because this is what I think, but the problem is what I think is so like if you put like a huge circle on a table and you are like how much knowledge do i have based on this circle on a table like you would say like, <laughs> my knowledge is a dot it's a dot like smaller than a grain of sand of all the knowledge you could have in the world and yet 
we truly believe like, oh, I know what's be- I knew what was best for my brother. My brother's best, best interest was to live. And so I think that like we often we do. We look at the flowers and we go, you know, I have full. Con- and also, like, I love in the beginning of the poem. You act like you have full control over the flowers. <laughs> That's the thing about it. Yeah, it's like I want those flowers to exist the way I want them to exist. I want them to be arranged a certain way on a certain table, looking, you know, with a certain smell, certain types, and they may not, and on to your point, like, well, number one, flowers organically die anyways, but I wanted them to live a way that I wanted them to live. So like two parts of that, it's like on one hand, it's the natural part of life is death and yet, we fight it, we being the observers of death, not necessarily the people of dying. Um, we fight it because we don't understand what their absence is going to look like. And for me personally, it's like, it's not fair that I don't have a father. It's not right that I, I can't call it my dad right now. It's not fair that he's not in that vase living the way that I need him to for when I want to smell the blooms or when I want to have a conversation with him or when I want to get his advice. That's not fair. And so I just think, that on one hand is like our we we think we have enough control like you said we think we have enough control and understanding of life and death just comes and wipes all that out and then i think i look to religion as like a isn't this the answer don't you isn't the purpose of religion is to like get closer to god who has all the answers so why am i unable to find it and maybe i thought of this as a dark poem the ending like um, looking for the light, but it's not enough sustenance. It's not supposed to be. I thought of that as a bad thing. It's almost like a cruel joke. Like us clinging to life is a cruel joke, but it could be that the light is God or the other side of death. And like, we're not supposed to cling to life too much because it's not the answer. It's not sustaining us. It's not supposed to be. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're supposed to, know everything about the light you know i think i've i've had this debate with people where it's like you know like what i talked about earlier with uh the ability of free will it's like if if god's real why didn't he just give us all the knowledge we need to know that he's real why did he maybe only leave like certain evidence and then we're left with like figuring out, hey, maybe he is. We're left with debating it for all of time. And again, like, it's just, it's just like, I feel like there's so much, so much knowledge. And, and knowledge is, you ever work with somebody that like knows, that works in like a higher position and is almost mm-hmm. like, you don't want to know everything that's going on because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I remember I, I talked to my dad one time who knows everybody's salaries in his work because he's the accountant. And I said, it must be, oh, I just wish I knew what other people made. You know, it's because in our, in our, in our, like in TV, it's everybody's kind of like paid randomly. And, and, and then you've come to find out that someone that was working beside you, you know, was paid more or less or whatever it may be. And sometimes you're angry for them or sometimes you're angry for you. And I remember I told, to, I talked to my dad and I said, isn't it, it's, it must be so nice to know what everybody makes, like have that knowledge. Mm. And he told me it's not, it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, it's worse because it'll drive you insane. You know, that some people are getting mm. paid this and you, yeah, you know what everybody's getting paid, but you'll think people are overpaid. You'll see people mm. being underpaid mm-hmm. and you know, every single case and you know, who's being ripped off and you know, you know, and it's like, so having God being the protector of all that knowledge is like, do we want all that knowledge? Is he kind of like, make, is he kind of allowing us to be a little bit blissful, you know, because it's like, if ignorance is bliss, like what's the, <laughs> well, I think, I think I saw like Chris Rock asked that one time, like in an interview, he said, it, you know, if ignorance is bliss, like what's the opposite of, of that, you know, and um, that's fair. torment, the opposite's torment. <laughs> perpetual torment. Yeah, maybe. The, 
So no, and what's funny about your diagram of like there's a big circle and you you know a grain of salt or mm-hmm. a grain of sand or whatever, that's of the things that you know you don't know, and there are things <laughs> yeah. that you don't know you don't know that may be infinitely bigger than that. Right. That's the kick I'm on. I'm like I I know. I know a little bit about a little bit. I know a lot about even less. And there's so much more I don't even know exists. Right. And that that to me is like, it's it's that to me is wild. And like, we're never, but I think we're always supposed to be searching for answers. Like, I find it crazy. This is just a side note. I find it crazy when people aren't searching for answers. You know, I mean, people that I'm like, um, like, for instance, one of the things that I've, listen to an, arg- an argument of like worldviews is in a worldview, you should have, you should at least be searching for answers to four questions. The four questions are origin. Where did we come from? The second question is meaning and, and purpose. Like what is the meaning of life? What are we here for? Um, the third question is morality. What is moral? You know, what's good, what's evil. Um, because we're fighting for it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I think that what's crazy is like, we, I mean, each of us has our own, mora- you know, kind of tries to figure out our own morality. Um, and, we're, and we're trying to figure all that out in terms of politics and, you know, everything. We're just trying mm-hmm. to answer those questions. And the last one is where do we go when we die? What's the end? And so, when I was listening to this guy, he's like, you know, those are four questions, origin, meaning, morality, destiny. And what boggles my mind is that I talk to people that don't care to answer any of those questions. <laughs> like, they're just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just, I just won't answer this question. I'm like, doesn't that drive you nuts? You know? Like, maybe there is- are. Maybe they, I think everyone's searching for that. And one, maybe they don't know how to articulate it. I think everyone has at some point looked up to the sky and felt a little bit empty and really thought like, why am I here? What am I doing? In one sentence, it's like, how did I get here? Why am I here? What am I doing? What happens next? That probably runs through every human being's head at some point in their life. And maybe they don't have the time or the space to like sit and digest like, oh, this is that origin part that I was looking for. Not (laughs) everyone has that, you know, that space to do that. Some people are just trying to survive, (laughs) just make it through the day that they're given. But I think every human being has these questions because it may take time to dig to it and depending how you phrase it, but I think you can get some answers out of everybody. Oh, I think so too. I do think that like, I think we should always be searching. You know, I I think that the idea that it's just like, well, I won't know the answer, therefore I shouldn't even try. It's like we should always be searching because yeah. one well, of the things about space. I don't understand space exploration. <laughs> and I'm just like Mars. I ain't into it. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I'm not, I'm serious. I don't understand space exploration. I don't have time for it. <laughs> but you were saying, <laughs> but you know, like for like to me, I struggle every day with what is my purpose. I struggle every day with that, and and I want to know the answer to that. And, you know, whether you talk to God about that, um, if you don't believe in God, whether you're looking for just other, you know, answers to that question, it's like, we should be searching for, for not necessarily we're going to find an answer, but we should be searching because that's the only way we're going to progress and evolve. And, uh, and um, I don't know, sometimes I think that we're stuck with societies like, a little bit like, oh, I don't, some people I know that I've talked to are just kind of like, I, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that just seems like a very hard question. It's like, I know it's a hard question, but we should at least try, you know? Um, yeah. Like one of the things I have a question about, sorry, I'm just like tangent. Heavy. No, what's up? But like, what is progress? Yeah. Oh. Like, what is progress? Like, who who <laughs> defines progress? And is there absolute progress or is there, is there absolute measures of progress? And like, like for instance, we always look to certain countries and we say, you know, they're progressive until that country goes crazy. And we go, ah, they, they, they were progressive for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And now they're kind of like, yeah, they're not, they're not as progressive as we thought. And we just, we just like, you know, um, I heard the, the best analogy I've ever heard is like, 
you know, you almost need absolute measures of progress because if you're sitting at a stoplight and your car is drifting and you have your foot off the brake and you don't, the only way you know your car is drifting is by looking around at things that are stationary. Mm -hmm. You're looking around at buildings and trees, but imagine a world where all of the buildings and trees are drifting as well. You'd have no idea if you're moving. And so I just tend to think of those questions a lot and, you know, and whether we need like absolute, like truth, like we're, we're having a big debate, fake news, you know, uh, alternate (laughs) truth. What is truth? (laughs) What is truth? I mean, it just, it drives me nuts. Like, like if we, like, is there absolute truth? Is there, um, you know, those kind of questions like bother me because it's like, we tend to like, people are so upset. Like to me, it's like, people are so upset and they go, I want truth. And it's like, but what is truth? Like, I want to know Mm. what is truth. And um, I don't know. I think we need to search for all that stuff. And what's funny is like, these questions are old. These are, and I don't know if it's just like, because we're, we're coming of age now um, that we're seeing the world through this lens and we can see like, we're asking ourselves these questions. What's morality? What's progress? What world do we want to create for our kids? Um, I think maybe just we're just not old enough to see that these questions exist. But these ain't new. Everybody, like, since dark ages, since before that, since whatever, everyone's been kind of asking, like, what is truth? What is duality? What is, is your perspective the true true? Is mine the true true? Um, and th- there are no right answers, but I think the way in which we engage the conversation is really important, and I'm not sure we're doing it the best way. I'm right. not sure we're willing to, like, be vulnerable and actually articulate our truths the way we see it, because then we don't want to get backlash. We don't want people mm-hmm. to say that your truth is wrong. And then we don't also want to internalize what it means to be wrong. So hmm. this is a whole like another conversation I would love <laughs> to have with you because this, I don't want this show to be like two hours long, but yeah, I would love to like have you come back. The second half of the poem was about like society and I would be remiss if I didn't if I didn't like honestly state that it was about like being a black person in this country mm-hmm. and how we're the progress that we're making, if you can call it that sometimes hurts. It feels like a double-edged sword. It's like two steps forward, eight steps backwards. And it's like this perpetual, like in and out of <sighs> we get a black president and then we are unceremoniously killed in the streets, like that kind of thing. And I fear for this country and I'm afraid of like what it means like whose future are we creating whose progress are we moving toward is my question so that i would love that conversation we can totally hack up over another time but i do want to thank you for your perspective on this can i can i ask you one more question yeah totes so so this is about the 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 poem i know i I go Mm -hmm. way off topic but this is on top this is this is this is uh um so the you know you talked about being an African-American and, and, and the last part of the uh, poem, do you feel like, do you feel like the knowledge, you know, when, of, of each petal of rebel swearing by the sun for all the hundreds of seas that have come and gone? Now I'm speaking, I'm, I'm obviously for people listening to this podcast, if they can't tell, um, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to tell I'm white, <laughs> but you're um, white. I'm white. Patrick Andrews is what? No, okay. <laughs> but my my question is, do you think that the that understanding, like, does that automatically take hope out of you? Like, does that <sighs> does it? Um, do you feel like be that being cut off at you know feeling like you're cut off at the stem prevents you from? trying to get somewhere like personally emotionally I don't, I don't know what, like exactly how i want to phrase it but do, do you do you feel that weight that's kind of what i want to know that is an excellent question and short answer yes long answer but we don't have the space to let it that's the problem that's the true burden i feel of being a black person in this country is like yeah, every day there are constant attacks on your personhood, emotionally, mentally, physically even. Um, and you could let it eat at you to the point of 
in decision and in action, but you can't afford to because if you stand still for too long, even just to catch your breath, you can get left behind and we just can't afford it. So I personally, it, yeah, I'm, I'm very frustrated, but I know I, sometimes I can't even take time to decompress. Sometimes I can't even watch the news. The last two years, I haven't even been engaged because it's been so much for me to handle, like just trying to stay afloat and trying to persevere. Yeah, it eats at you, but you have, we just have to be stronger. That's what it means. You just got to survive and, and persevere and be stronger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I said, short answer. Yeah. Long answer, but I can't let it. Yeah. I just think it's that the, you know, briefly, I just think, you know, I feel for the burden of that and uh, I, I can't empathize. Um, I can only sympathize, but I know that, you know, there's extra, there's extra weight there um, on the shoulders of, of people in the black community to be perfect that, um, that we don't have. And, uh, and I, you know, I think it just, that just flat out sucks, you know, but the world is hopefully making progress. It's just, we inch slowly and slowly, uh, or, you know, slower and slower towards it. But, um, I just hope that we d there isn't that burden, you know, um, in the future. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we gotta figure it out. <laughs> That's literally all we can do is figure it out and have conversations like this and be honest and transparent. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for joining the show and thank you for sharing your story and, uh, tackling a kind of a tough poem. Like I said, you're the first person that I've actually shared this poem with. It's not even out yet. So holla at you. And it's also, <laughs> usually my poems are very literal. Like I loved him. He loved me back. But this one is a complete metaphor. So thank you for you know, taking the time to delve into it. Well, thanks, Nicole. Yeah, of course. I will talk to you soon. Absolutely. Much love. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've just heard the poem In Vase, which is a part of the Durance Anthology which will be available by the end of 2018. If you're interested in learning more about the poetry on the show, or if you would like to be a guest, please feel free to reach out to me at lafootspoetry at gmail.com or on social media at lafoots. Thanks for listening.